Welcome to the Coconuts Podcast. Today is April 23rd, 2021. The Coconuts Podcast is your home for top trending news and pop culture from all across Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. I'm Nurul Azlia sitting in for Summer Lee. And I'm Vim Shanmagam. Hello. Hello, Vim. Hi, Nurul. Are you trying to do an ac- accent because like Summer tries to do an accent every week? <laughs> yeah, and also because um, well, we're going to talk about some Singaporeans today in London. Oh, no. oh gosh, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a teaser. Teaser for later. Teaser for later. Okay. How's your week been? How, what's, what's cracking on the editorial front? uh crazy not actually not so crazy i mean for me at least it's the first uh it's been uh i think it's the second week of ramadan so oh, i've been fasting right. yeah, yeah it's been uh really like a different experience because it's uh we're returning to office so mm. the office i like working hours a bit different and um and then you know i'm out and not eating <laughs> Oh my gosh. So, uh, it's, it's so far yeah. it's been okay though actually. Um I'm I don't really feel so hungry. I mean, I feel more thirsty definitely mm. and sleepy I think. Like you you just your body's just yeah. slowing down so you're just like oh so. Yeah. yeah. I try to walk around a lot. There's nothing in you. Yeah. Is that is that like the most difficult part like the the not drinking you think? Um, for me, I think because I am like a caffeine addict, so um, I think um not drinking coffee has been has been like the most difficult bit. But um, so now I I I replace I replace it with just walking around oh as much gosh. as possible and going to the toilet and I like, wash my face. Yeah, I mean, I I salute Muslims around the world who can do this. I yeah, even like an hour. Like I can't like dr- like water. I drink water like constantly. Like I'm always in a bathroom because of it too. But but you yeah, know, like, I I do that. I do that when when I'm not fasting. Like I'm always drinking water as well because yeah um yeah and uh, yeah. So that's just one of the things that I would like miss doing mm. um as well. Other than you know smelling coffee in the morning, like first thing in the morning oh. before you start work. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, it's just one month. I mean, we've only got like a few weeks left, so. Okay, like halfway through maybe. Yeah, and the funny (laughs) thing is that when Ramadan's over, then it becomes quite difficult to readjust to pre-Ramadan life. It's like, oh yes, (laughs) I can drink coffee now. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny because like so many people are trying to do like all these like um, fasting, fasting trends, and and then (laughs) fasting challenge on social media. Yeah, it's it's so (laughs) it's so dumb, but like yeah, hey, anything for content. Anything for content, as we'll find out later on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Advertise with our in-house agency, Grove. Fast, funny, digital. Join forces with us to slay buzzwords, rise above the noise, and sow the seeds of something great. Get in touch via coconuts.co slash grove. And in our top stories for this week, in Singapore, there was a Singaporean student who was mugged in London and the whole incident was streamed live on YouTube. So there was this YouTuber who was live streaming, live streaming his walk around London and then he just inadvertently filmed the whole violent assault of the Singaporean student. Um, The name of the student is Raymond Hing, he's 21 years old. So he sustained mm. a cut to his face after he was attacked in Leicester Square by this yeah. man who was apparently trying to steal his bicycle. Mm. And the entire ordeal was streamed live by this British YouTuber who's 
only known as Sherwin, um, yeah. who happened to be at the who happened to just chance upon the attack, which took place at around one a.m. London time on April tenth. He was actually trying to um, find his ride home at that time, and then he just came across um, Raymond Hing, who was already like on the ground. His bicycle was already on the ground, and uh, when he saw when he saw the Singaporean student. And he actually like um, try to scare the assailant away. Mm. You could yeah, if you watch the video, you can actually see the man like trying to grab the bicycle, and then after that, he um, escaped. What's going on? Oh, oh is he getting attacked? Whoa, 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 leave him alone! Leave him alone! Why? Oh, oh, don't come! Leave him alone! Leave him alone! Leave him alone! Yeah. Yeah, he um, sort of ran off, right? Like, I mean, mm -hmm. he had a knife. Did he have a knife? Like he. Or, or apparently he that allegedly. was what the yeah allegedly yes but uh, we couldn't see any weapon or any action like stabbing action going on like all we all you mm. can see in the video is just um the man uh trying to grab the bicycle and then he left and then the boy was already on the ground yeah um so the police they're aware I mean two police officers were there. And, um, but fortunately, like, they haven't made any arrests, even though, like, they tried to um, search the area and try to locate the person. But, yeah, yeah. they couldn't. Mm. Man, that's crazy. Yeah. 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 And, like, this is, uh, I mean, we don't know what was the motive other than, you know, other than the person trying to rob this yeah. dude. Uh, but it's, it's just... Um, it's just shocking because uh, a Singaporean student was attacked in London as well, like last year. Mm. But that was, although that one was um, obviously a, like a hate crime, even yeah, though racially motivated, right? That, yeah. yeah, that was racially motivated. Yeah. Um, and that guy was bruised like really badly. Like you could mm. see the bruises all over his face. Yeah. Um, yeah. This guy probably more more like wrong place, wrong time. Dude trying to steal his bike. And yeah. Luckily, like this guy was like streaming, like live streaming, running right? around. So, yeah. It was like a seven and a half hour stream. He was just streaming yeah. his whole day. <laughs> well, Which YouTubers. Is, ooh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, I didn't, like, I was just asking myself, like, why would I ever do that? Would you ever do that? Live stream your whole. I don't think I'll have like seven hours of interesting stuff to show people. <laughs> That's the same. It's probably just me watching like Love Island on Netflix. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we're seven hours. They can watch that with me. That's fine. Watch party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, people would just see me in front of the computer. So it's like, oh, the worst live stream ever. <laughs> okay, next. Well, well, over in Bali, a new week a new shenanigan from a influencer, but Bali just filled with these like influencers who are going wild. <laughs> like every <laughs> week we find, we find out someone else is like doing something crazy. So this one, so it's a face paint mask prank. Uh, a couple of influencers went into this Bali supermarket and uh, in Bali, you can't travel anywhere without wearing a mask. And these two yahoos went in there without a mask and they said, no, no, you have to wear a mask. So they left and instead of like getting masks on or wearing masks, they painted like a mask, like face paint to mimic what a mask would look like. The little light blue, um, you know, the light blue color of like most mm -hmm. uh, of most masks. And then uh, they went back into 
uh, the supermarket. I think they wore like the actual masks first. And then like once they went in, they removed the mask. And, and then they started like obviously like filming themselves walking around where people didn't like notice them at first. And then, mm. yeah, they started after they posted the videos, then it just went crazy. Like everyone started calling them out. Um, mm. And in fact, like one a Balinese like politician like uh, took note of like what happened and started like, um, yeah, basically posted what happened and, and asked um, the authorities to come on, like basically come hard on them. So now uh, they're like on the prowl to find out who they are so they mm -hmm. can get kicked out of the country. <laughs> so, and you know what? All power to them. Kick them out. <laughs> get them out. Oh, yeah. gosh. Uh, yeah, um, I just don't understand. They're not even that popular, are they? I think one of them only had like 300,000 followers on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing, too. It's like, I think these, these all these guys are just trying to make a like do something sensational so they get more like followers and likes and views yeah. and stuff so yeah. yeah and all these like pranks and i guess like they do a lot of these types of like pranks quote-unquote social experiments and challenges so uh yeah I, I think their days are numbered hopefully they uh learn a lesson because i mean bali is one of those places where there's still a lot of like cases and indonesia in general and yeah yeah they're trying to control COVID 19 and to no avail because of and then you have like all these uncontrollable idiots <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, so, and you know like bali they come up like the authorities come up with like the most creative ways to punish people like they get <laughs> like they get them to like parade down with you know uh just parade down and tell everyone that you know you stole something you know they have to carry like a poster or they have to like, hold yeah. on to a poster or something and walk around you know mm -hmm. they, they they get them to do like all these crazy things is that so embarrassing and it's still like not enough to deter i mean <laughs> uh, we all know like nobody wants to go inside bali's prison oh like, gosh no yeah <laughs> and then um and then like, i don't know nobody wants to go through you know being an idiot in front <laughs> of the crowd and then people <sighs> still do shit like this <laughs> yeah cray man yeah. cray cray <laughs> oh well that's all i gotta say all for the gram and in Manila, a very heartwarming story coming out of Manila. Um, so there was this unidentified man who um, gave away money to people queuing up at a Makati community pantry. He was just giving out $2 bills, which is actually 100 pesos. Yeah. Um, and it even um, drew a lot of praise, uh, including from former congressman, um, who was also one of the organizers of this pantry. And give him like a shout out on Twitter, even though he, um, the congressman didn't even know who this um, Good Samaritan is. Mm. Um, but so in that tweet, there was a, the video of this man. He was wearing face mask and face shield and he was just handing out the money to people uh, queuing up at this pantry, this community pantry, mm. um, which is located at Vito Cruz Extension. So at the corner of South Avenue and it's been serving the surrounding villages in the area. Interesting. It's the so the first the pantry is like it's like a food bank to give out to to help people you know give whatever food they need, um and it's free. Oh uh, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I won't. So, so random, but I think at least well some good news at least like in the Philippines. I know they're quite ravaged by COVID nineteen and and you know mm -hmm. the economy is like really really doing badly. A lot of people are suffering a lot, especially like you know in the more poverty stricken areas. So. I think at least like this is a small welcome. I mean, e even though it doesn't seem like a lot of money, it is it is 
decent enough money where people can actually go buy food and and you know um at least survive yeah yeah Yeah, right or even just put a smile i think like gestures like this would just put a smile on someone's face because i feel like you know so i feel like the past year has been like so difficult like it's just Mm -hmm. it can just be draining on people's mental health and you know um yeah it's cool good on this guy whoever you are mystery man (laughs) Yeah, mystery, mystery man behind the mask. <laughs> <laughs> um, in Hong Kong, well, controversial chief executive Carrie Lam. I think she's going to start another war about this chicken rice. But anyway, she said more youth should move to Hainan for jobs. And she claims chicken rice, chicken rice. Uh, we'll get to the chicken rice part. But um, basically, when she was visiting Hainan, she posted on Facebook saying that like uh, this is a great place for jobs, business opportunities, and of course, uh, the Hainanese chicken rice that Hong Kong people love, um, which, you know, a lot of people were like, well, Hainanese chicken rice isn't really from Hainan, or is it? We don't know. Um, <laughs> the South China Morning Post obviously credits um, uh, the dish to be founded in Singapore around 1949, although Malaysia also uh, has their stake in this. Um, yeah, so I think <laughs> while, well, I think she was trying to, uh, get people to move to Hainan, which is a completely different story because she's obviously a very big supporter of the Chinese government, which is a controversial, mm-hmm. another controversial thing. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, she's also trying to start a war between, uh, Hong Kong, China, Singapore, and Malaysia. Yeah, <laughs> a four-way <why>? war for <laughs> chicken rice. <laughs> yeah, like um, forget about the nasi lemak debate. The chicken rice is the chicken rice debate now. <laughs> I think it's ours. Come on, it, it's it's Singaporean. I feel like it's like even Anthony Bourdain, R.I.P. Sir, when he when he first came to Singapore, like he basically said, that, like you know, chicken rice is the national dish, and boom, you know what? Then if he says it, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's true. And now I know what I'm going to have for breakfast later. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, my gosh, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be talking about food. No, we should. Because it's like we're hours away from breakfast and I don't know what to eat. So now I know. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Speaking of Ramadan in Malaysia, <laughs> there's been a naughty, naughty case in Malaysia involving an Islamic evangelist. An influencer turned beauty entrepreneur who drew widespread criticism for dressing inappropriately in a photo with an Islamic preacher during Ramadan has publicly apologized for the incident. So this influencer, she is 20 years old. Her name is Mm. Nadira Isaac. She went on Instagram recently to apologize for dragging the Islamic preacher whose name is, who's known as P.U. Amin for a photo with her friend at the launch of her beauty brand called Troyeka. I think I pronounced that correctly. Um, they had invited the Islamic preacher to the to the event, to the beauty event, which I thought was weird, but apparently it's quite normal in Malaysia. So he was invited to kind of bless the occasion and he even gave like a special sermon there. And um, at the event, uh, so these two women, they were wearing um, white dresses. They look gorgeous, to be yeah. honest. Um, mm-hmm. They were gorgeous. One of them, uh, b- both of their dresses were, you know, they... Um, they were body hugging dresses. They showed off their uh, nice, great assets. One of them <laughs> uh, had like slit, and then the other one it was just it was head to toe dress. But um, yeah, you can really see 
all her curves. Yeah. <laughs> and, That's a very nice, nice um, way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, obviously. So, you know, nice. Yeah, I know. Nice, right? <laughs> because it's Ramadan. I cannot be mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so anyways, the photo was obviously too provocative for a lot of conservatives in Malaysia who, mm. you know, just like all hell broke loose on social media and like slammed slammed her for, you know, taking that photo with the um the preacher who um was not safe from this whole um backlash by the way. Like a lot of people um attacked him for agreeing to the photo and smiling <laughs> in the photo while standing in between both of them. Um yeah, so um but anyways, uh the beauty influencer, she's apologized, she's taken down that a particular photo. The other girl who was in the photo uh, actually posted it on her Instagram as well, but she censored her legs um, and uh, her friends are bum. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the photo, it's them weird. <laughs> yeah, but, like, is, but a lot of people praised her for it. They say, oh, that's that's very respectful of you. Like, oh, okay, it's then. funny because like it, they're like white boxes to like censor this stuff. So it looks as though one of the girls is just, they're both like not wearing like what like one's yeah, like not true. wearing pants not wearing yeah. pants and other one's not wearing like undies like it looks more it looks worse i feel it's like you're making the imagination like run wilder than than it should be oh, yeah. wow. i was like what yeah but the funny but, thing yeah. is that the the preacher when he uh, spoke to the press he actually sounded mm. quite defensive um so this he was quoted so he basically he admitted that the dresses were inappropriate but um, this uh, uh, news website actually quoted him saying, uh, "It's quote, it's not like I could say no. You're going to hell, and people want to take photos with me. To those who mm. criticize me for smiling in the photo, what was I supposed to do? Make an angry face? Mm. Okay, chill. <laughs> yeah, but why were they like? I mean, why were they even like claimed as not appropriate? Because like." Yeah, because of the of, of the country, right? Like it's because people are more conservative. Do you think or like? Yeah. So no. actually, so to me, like I mean, the girls look great. Um, mm. the, and the preacher, if he thinks that it's inappropriate, and if if he thinks that he feels uncomfortable taking photo, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's not too hard to decline, right? Mm. Um. So yeah. um, but in terms of like whether it's inappropriate, whether the women were wearing, uh, dressing provo- provocatively or not, it was obviously a subjective thing. And since um, most mm. of the pe- most of the critics were, can be seen as, you know, the highly conservatives, uh, highly Muslim conservatives, then obviously they would see it and, as, you know, inappropriate. And it's mm. not surprising that they saw it as inappropriate. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, it's just a clash. It's just a clash <laughs> of um, ideologies, I guess. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Well, from controversy in Kuala Lumpur, we're going to controversy in Jakarta. Um, we're uh-huh. an Indonesian, Indonesian man, and I think this is like next level. If you talk about, if you talk about mm-hmm. the, the Kuala Lumpur story being more, you know, it's controversial. Level, yeah. This is like straight up blasphemy. Where an Indonesian man claims to be the twenty-sixth prophet in Islam, uh, and he got charged. <laughs> so, <laughs> the first so, prophet to get charged. <laughs> oh my gosh yeah so he started so this indonesian man um started posting blasphemous videos about how he's a 26 um prophet in islam um in mainstream islamic beliefs the prophet muhammad is the 25th prophet and basically the last messenger 
of God. So anyone like after him it, or anyone who claims to be after him is basically, mm. you know, just basically just like making shit up. <laughs> and and <laughs> um, yeah, so he's been posting all these videos, making all kinds of like ludicrous statements. And Indonesia has gone wild. They're like, this is bullshit. And um, in fact, like the, their version of the information and communications ministry basically started blocking all of his videos um mm -hmm. the dude is in germany right now he left indonesia in 2018 uh, he renounced his like indonesian citizenship uh, but he still could be charged um with the information electronic transition transactions act which um yeah it, it basically like the the indonesian police um the polri uh the national police as they as they call them um, now we'll coordinate with Interpol to basically issue a writ notice list for him, which is uh, which basically will mean that you know if he is charged and convicted, um, he could be imprisoned to up to six years and fined about one billion uh, Indonesian rupees, which is about seventy thousand US dollars. Ooh, <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be funny. Um, and is it is it common to have like? self-proclaimed prophets in the Interpol rate notice? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Who knows, man? Sure. I feel like there's so many people like on Interpol's like red list, like that are, you know, like cult leaders and crazy, crazy, you know, self-proclaimed like prophets of all religions, you know, like, uh -huh. yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the, notice this not okay so we have like sexual abusers sexual assault drugs okay mm. so he might be like the first the only, like under, might be, like the only one hate crime i think they could call it like they put it under like hate crime because it's like uh, kind of right. quote unquote making i wouldn't say making fun of but like kind of um you know like like making uh, a religion seem lesser than or attacking like a religion so mm -hmm. yeah that could be mm -hmm. how they, he gets charged <laughs> cool okay <laughs> from germany to mars <laughs> in myanmar we have um someone who is going to mars apparently for the first time humanity sent something flying above another world um which is a moment being back to earth from mars by nasa's perseverance rover Hmm. Leading the team behind that historic feat was Burmese American engineer Mimi Ang, the Mars Ingenuity Helicopter Project Manager who has worked at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California for 31 years. Wow. Hmm. And she said um, it was a successful flight. You can see a photo of her tearing up her mission failure speech and like in victory. She was just celebrating it. It's mm -hmm. really cool. Um, so, so Mimi Ang, she followed her parents' footsteps into science and even earned a master's degree in electronic engineering. Her mother was the first Burmese woman to earn a doctoral degree in mathematics at a U.S. university, where her father wow. held one in chemistry. That's yes, awesome. Now, yeah. Um, so she was born before moving to... Okay, her parents met while pursuing their doctorates in the U.S., so Mimi was born there before moving to Myanmar when she was 18 months old. Oh, and she even studied in Malaysia. St. Christopher's School in Malaysia prior to returning to the United States at, a six, at age 16 to pursue higher education. So she is based there now and she's helped to, she's, she's part of the team that helped to send 
um, this flying object to Mars. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it, I think it's just like a little bit of good news that, that you know, um, that is coming. Well, I wouldn't say coming from Myanmar, but at least like um, from one of Myanmar's own, because, you know, obviously right now things are very tough in Myanmar. So a little bit of hopefully like some uh, good news. Um... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, yeah. Um, with Myanmar, um, I really hope things get fixed. Um, and some and ASEAN does something a little bit more, more concrete about it because yeah. uh, recently um, the Myanmar junta leaders um, invited for for the first time for an ASEAN meeting and um, so a lot of people were, were against it so um, it's it's starting to look like a bad move I really hope ASEAN does something about it that's all saying yeah. <laughs> But so the conversation begins and, you know, like, yeah, that, that, that can be sorted out quickly. Although, you know, rumors are that like there are, um, it's probably going to be a while before, you know, we see anything positive come out of there. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, in our final story, uh, we go to Bangkok where, well, a poor cop gets demoted after his wife... <sighs> Uses the their police helicopter for obnoxious TikToks. Oh, TikToks, TikToks the bane of everyone. So, I know. <laughs> um, so a police officer in the northeast of Thailand was suddenly transferred uh, to another division after his wife uh, showed up a trip aboard a Royal Thai police helicopter in a TikTok video. Lieutenant Colonel Agrapol Yiko detective with the Udantani police station was demoted and reassigned uh, because his TikToker wife like took a whole bunch of like cringeworthy like selfies and like mm -hmm. duck face videos and like you know flashing the V fingers and all in front of like the the you know the helicopter and once it went once it went like viral um, it was tracked back to uh, her and then him and the Udantani police commander basically said, yeah, we need to protect the organization's image. This is, you know, to reduce damage. This is, uh, you know, we can't like uh, make it seem as though the government is like playing a fool, playing around. Um, and unfortunately, uh, he has to take the brunt um, of the damage because his yeah. wife wanted to get a few more <laughs> likes and a few more followers um, for, well, I was going to say for the gram, but for the talk. <laughs> yeah. I saw the video and the, the first thing that made me cringe for the was the soundtrack. She used Leanne Rhymes, <laughs> How Do I Live? Yes. That is the funniest <laughs> part of it. I'm like, why? <laughs> why that song? Like, I'm like, did that song just come out like in Udantani? Like, like, why is that the hit song? Like, there's so many other better songs. Right? And then <laughs> hashtag happy day, hashtag happy life. Okay, well, not sure about that now. How do yeah. you live now, woman? How do you live? <laughs> sad day, sad life. So incoming, <laughs> divorce incoming. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so Summer and I had a chance to sit down with Bertram Van Munster and Elise Doganieri. Um, if those two names sound familiar, they're actually 
Emmy Award winning. Actually, I shouldn't even say Emmy Award winning. They're like multiple Emmy Award winning producers. Um, they created the Amazing Race and won Emmys like, you know, like 10 years in a row, probably more. And then now they have like a new show called Race to the Center of the Earth. Um, and we got to sit down with them to find out more about the show, but also about what keeps them going and being, you know, these creative like veterans in industry and just like churning out like hit shows. Another hit show. Um, you guys just keep on like being so like prolific. Um, why not? <laughs> yeah, why not, right? <laughs> but this is try. this comes at a cool time too because uh, you know everyone's like stuck at home, having like a travel show is probably like the best thing <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> Absolutely, having Race to the Center of the Earth on the air right now, I don't think it could have come on at a better time. It's something I think we're all just so desperately needing to you know get out of our homes virtually. Yeah. And, you know, know that we have this big, beautiful planet out there and hopefully we can all get back to traveling very soon. As soon as we're all, you know, have the vaccine covering most of us and, and getting out there again, it's, you know, you don't realize how much you appreciate the world and different cultures and travel until you can't do it anymore. And mm -hmm. uh, I think Bertram yeah. and I realize that because it's part of what we do and what we love, but, um, well, the great really thing about this show is that, you know, we take people, the viewers to places that they will never be able to go to. I don't care how good you are or how much money you have. It's going to be impossible. <laughs> you know, so we, we took that trip. We took these four different routes and people can stay at home with their family and watch television and see the most extraordinary places that they will never be able to, to see oh, you know, on their own. I mean, unless you really, really are willing to torture yourself. So oh, gosh. Yeah, we saw um I watched trailer obviously and like you know we saw the first episode. So it's it is kind of an insane like concept. Like how so I guess like for some of our listeners who don't know, like maybe give us just like the the quick overview, the cliff notes of um Race yeah. to Center of the Earth. So Race to the Race to the Center of the Earth is an adventure race uh, on at epic proportions. Uh, National Geographic came to us uh, with this concept and we created the show and developed it for them. And basically, we took four teams of three people and started them in four different points on the globe, all very different environments, very different terrain, very different languages. We have one in South America, one in Southeast Asia, one in Russia, and one in North America. And um, we started that race all at the same time simultaneously. So four teams of three people racing from four points all to one location to find the million dollar prize floating in a, in the ocean attached to a buoy. So, you know, that's kind of the, the cliff note version of it. So we found four teams of three. We have police officers from Alaska. We have teachers, uh, three teachers that work in, in a school together. Uh, we have um, three friends who are climbers. Mm. And then um, I'm thinking like, what's the final team? The final team is, um, oh, the coworkers. What am I thinking? No, no yeah. team America, <laughs> coworkers. So boss with two of his colleagues. What kind mm. of dynamic can you imagine from that? And they're all, you know, we, we did the casting very purposefully not to, uh, you know, cast professional athletes. So these mm. are people who travel the, travel, love adventure, love to push themselves. 
and they just love to do adventure. Some do, they do all different things. So yeah, we you, have to have some, you have to have some general guts to do it because you're going to be dropped off in the middle of nowhere. And when yeah. I say nowhere, I mean nowhere with a little GPS machine in your hand and said, go. And now you got to figure it out. And every morning you wake up, you're still in the middle of, you still don't know where you are. And you still have to use the <laughs> GPS machine to get from A to B. It is very, very, very terrifyingly intimidating. There's no question about it. If yeah. you're in the middle of Siberia, with a little GPS and you got to go to Vladivostok, it's not an easy feat. Yeah, and that, that's a good point too. Every day they had um, their day laid out for them. They had to, you know, maybe their day was six hours or eight hours or 10 hours, but there were waypoints they had to hit every single waypoint to move forward. And at the end of stage one, the team with the most points going into stage two, when they would all be together, would get an advantage, a time advantage in the finale. Mm. Okay. Well, what even, like, I mean, that blows my mind. Like it, that's crazy that you guys started at the same time in different like hemispheres. Yeah. How was that like from just from a logistical like well, point, like <laughs> give you an example in South America where we expected to have good weather. We started in a horrendous snowstorm, which was completely <sighs> unexpected in Russia. We started, it was actually nice weather. It's supposed to be bad weather in Russia. So the, the, the climate <laughs> screws you up too so there's, there's a there are these very unpredictable factors but you know a lot of willpower a lot of strength a lot of inner strength and a lot of physical strength and people made it they, they dealt with it with the elements and dealt very very good with it but you i know, tell you some of the mountains they have to climb and the rock formations etc together you know it's a lot of it is bicycling running walking one was once in a while a car once in a while a helicopter because it's too 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 remote i mean yeah. and you gotta find all these places in the middle of nowhere I mean, for in, in, in Asia, for instance, we started the Chinese border in North Vietnam, mm. started the Chinese border, and then they have to make their way all the way to Laos, Cambodia, et cetera, et cetera. These people have never been anywhere. I mean, they got all of a sudden deal with languages, with food, with logistics, with all the stuff they have to deal with. So, yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see how people deal with it. You know, people are strong. Yeah, the one thing that maybe you can't feel is the temperature. Um, in Asia, it was, you know, reaching 100 degrees, which is... As you're probably familiar with. <laughs> 38, 38, 40 Celsius and, you know, humid, humid, humid. So dehydration was a big factor there. Mm. On the other hemisphere of the world, we're dealing with a blizzard and, you know, hypothermia. Freezing. You know? <laughs> so, you know, that was kind of the excitement about the show was, you know, seeing these four different environments going on at the same time. And yeah, we did have a blizzard in South America and we couldn't say, let's push this by a day and start filming tomorrow. No, because everybody had to go. We had to start the race and we had a schedule to stick with. You and know, that's the fun part is a lot of people show up in their little shorts because they think they're going on some sort of a nice vacation. And then it turns <laughs> out, <laughs> why are you wearing shorts? You are going to Siberia, okay? <laughs> Leah, can I ask, how did you make sure the races were equal in difficulty across the terrains? Yeah, Absolutely. So that probably. was one of obviously one of the biggest challenges. And we scouted each route probably three times. Bertram and I picked kind of the, we picked the locations where we wanted to be. And then we brought in professional adventure race, you know, directors. And then we brought in our safety and security team and we brought in the riggers and so what we did is we laid out every day for each different area of the world and said, okay, you know, maybe in team North America. Not, not during the race, but in preparation. Yeah, in preparation of the race. So, mm. you know, one day one team will be mountain biking while another team is mountain climbing. 
But then it flipped. You'll see another team that's mountain biking on a, in a different area of the world and the other team is climbing a mountain. So we tried mm. to find equal um, tasks for them to do in all the different terrains, whether they were climbing a glacier or climbing a mountain, we still considered that climbing. And different days had different hours. So Team South America might have an eight hour day while another team might have an 11 hour day, but they were driving for two hours more. Mm. So literally took it minute by minute, day by day to make sure that it felt fair and that it was fair. And, and, you, and will see, you will see it is fair because they are racing so close, which is, which is genius. And a lot of credit goes to release. This is genius that these people from so from thousands of miles away are, cl- are, are really racing within half an hour from each other. It's amazing. So that's where the logic lies. Uh, so, and that's from our team testing everything before the contestants did it, right? So everybody, no, we've everybody done it three times. It. Yeah, we ran the race. We ran all routes three times. I did not. Says we, I did <laughs> not. <laughs> How was that? I mean, like that just seems. I mean, we do productions here, here in Singapore, uh, here at Coconuts, and and those are like tiny productions versus like something like this. How? Just from a production sense, like how did that even come about? Like, are are like all your crew and producers like they have to go through like a boot camp, a crazy yeah, boot they, camp? they are actually. Actually, I can tell you that by the way, you have great people in Singapore. I I worked with a lot of people in Singapore. Very mm-hmm. very competent, very good. But uh, the the way I've done it in my years that we produce all these shows is uh, they work for many many years and they have to work as one unit, and they mm-hmm. unfortunately they have to do it my way. You know, <laughs> I said, I said, when you sell your own show, you can do it your way, but now you're in my way. But these guys are extremely loyal, guys and girls, extremely loyal, extremely competent. I mean, everybody that works on my shows is handpicked, absolutely handpicked. Uh, at least there's a lot of the interviewing. We do a lot of personal interviewing of people who work on the show. We've had hundreds of people working on, on the show, uh, even in Hollywood. But um, everybody is handpicked and handchecked if they can do it. And I mean, the amazing race was the training ground, right? The amazing mm. race we've been doing it for new. It's we're coming up on our twentieth anniversary. Yeah, really. and so cameramen, producers, um, and just the contacts around the world that Bertram and I have made over the years. Uh, to even get into the countries with visas and you know getting gear in, getting it in and out, crossing borders. That's just that's what we do. That's where our expertise comes in. Mm-hmm. And laying out a race like this, it is a logistical nightmare, but it's a logistical nightmare that we love to take on. It's a puzzle right. and a challenge we want to we want to figure out. And it's our vacation. <laughs> I don't know about vacation. That's a big <laughs> um, I have other places I like to go on vacation. But um, but this is what we do. And we love the challenge because doing the amazing race for so many years, you know, this is, you know, that, you know, quadrupled because we did four races simultaneously. Mm, and so yeah. we've got crews running all over the world. And that is something that we had never done before, but it was exciting and thrilling. And yes, not, not take, in this form, not in this form. To take on a production like this is is huge. It's it's a it's a, like a military operation. You have to do months and months of preparation, planning step by step. And what we do know is because we do scout and we test the routes, we roughly have a very not roughly we have a very good idea of how long each day is going to take. So we can say we can do this in eighteen days. We can do this in fourteen days. Mm. Um, and then we always have to factor in a little wiggle room, of course, right? Like, yeah. What if, what if something, you know, flights get fogged in, 
planes get you know, delayed. The, the quality of the producers and the, and the people that are on the show are really fantastic. And even, you know, we have had a, a, turnover, a turnover of people because I had cameramen that started when they were 30 years old. Now they're over 50 and they come up to me to my office and say, Bert, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I'm too old. <laughs> Everything, every bone hurts me. I want to do a studio show. Can you do a studio show? <laughs> so, okay, we bring in new guys. And then the new guys stay for 10 years or 15 years and they come in mm -hmm. my office and say, Bert, everything hurts. Can I do the B-roll? No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody wants to do B-roll because that's kind of nice, you know? And yeah. Yeah, have you have to imagine that every contestant is doing what they're doing and they're they're roughing it right but then yeah. we have a camera crew sound woman cameraman sound you know carrying a camera running alongside or they're hanging on a cliff that someone is repelling from or climbing up and they're jumaring up and down to follow the action then we've got drone operators and we've got you know specialty cameras set up on kayaks and canoes just about everything you could imagine. So our team also was leapfrogging a little bit ahead to set up those locations, but not too far ahead because they're so remote, you know? Um, it was in intense. Uh, it's, 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 it's intense, as Elite says, and it's pretty hairy stuff. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's it, we are comfortable in that zone. We know what we're doing. We can we can predict the unpredictable with this type of show. That gives us the confidence to keep, to keep doing it, you know? And we, have, as a partner, National Geographic has been phenomenal. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I think the CIA or the FBI need to go to you guys to, if you want to go into countries and get out of there because you guys know all the ins and outs. Yeah, we do. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's all about having good friends everywhere, you know? Yeah. You know, that's the other wonderful thing is we've created so many wonderful relationships all around the world in all countries. Mm -hmm. And um, something we really pride ourselves on is we, we like to leave a, a location or a place better than it than when we got there, you know. So mm -hmm. we do make an effort to clean up after we're there, but even make it even better than what what was there before. So no it is plastic important. cups, no plastic bottles, no nothing. We leave every we, we take it all. Especially you know, with National Geographic, um, so important to you know take care of our environment, take care of our world, mm -hmm. preserve it, protect it. Um, you know In there. In addition to producing a show, we have to take the plastic cups with us. We don't use, we didn't use plastic cups. So he's joking about that. We mm -hmm. literally took everything was, had to be metal, canteens, you know, we really did do that. And that was so important for us too. Um, now, as I say, my, my motto is that we are, and I said it before, that we are the guests in the country. When we come to the mm -hmm. Philippines, we are your guests. And we have to behave ourselves. I tell everybody, you have to behave yourself as a guest. If you don't, you know, and we find out that you <laughs> that you uh, ruffling feathers, you're out of here. You, you know what it. I love also about about Singapore. You know, we've been to Singapore many times on the Amazing Race. Yeah. Um, you know, you take such good care of your country, where you live, your cities. They're pristine. They're beautiful, and that is something that we should all aspire to do. Right? Mm -hmm. It's just organized and beautiful and you know it's you you guys are a very good example of how we should all be kind of doing it right just taking care of where you live and respecting where you live no oh, yeah. thanks but yeah it sounds like you guys have planned everything down to the detail so can i ask uh without spoiling maybe uh what was the hardest scene to film if you will can you give us a hint 
the hardest scene all, you know it's really this stuff is equally hard you know it's it's all, okay. it's, all it's all difficult nothing mm. nothing we do is easy it's just it's just who we are you know we had um in the first uh the first episode in south america because of the blizzard it mm. really kind of set things back a little bit and mm. um you know there was a ferry that needed to be you know taken that um, we were right up against the deadline. So when we have weather <laughs> that is very unpredictable and we plan for it, but we just miss it because of safety or it gets too dark to travel. Those yeah. are the things that, you know, I would say that first day was actually really tough for us. We were actually supposed to, in Ushuaia, we were supposed to start on the water at a lighthouse, but because there were 70 mile an hour winds and the snow was coming sideways, it wasn't safe to be on a boat. So we had to just move the start point to the land. Which, to was, the was, a, which I was, was very sorry because I picked this rock. This is a little mini little island that is all the way at the very tip of South America. That is the end of South America with the mm. lighthouse next to it. And I wanted to start there, you know, and we yeah. couldn't. We had to move it, move it up a little bit. And I've been fighting for the little rock for months and months and months. In the last <laughs> moment, in the last moment, we had to move it a couple of hundred yards. Oh, oh. Man. But we are very much into the detail of every location, everything that happens, the feelings of the people, how they operate, uh, mm -hmm. how we tell a story, how we, how, how we, how we end up with the drama, et cetera, et cetera. We are very, very detailed about that. Mm -hmm. you, you have yeah, to be. It was pretty tough, to be honest. Every day was, was a journey, was a journey and uh, an adventure. I mean, you really have to watch every episode and just kind of take in what each team is doing and think about, all that's going on behind the scenes is for coverage because mm. I think we covered, you know, a big, a big, big important part for National Geographic is to show the beauty of the culture and the landscape and where you are. And so that's incredible patience yeah. and camera work to be able to capture that, but also capture yeah. the story of these people on their epic adventure. You know, mm -hmm. National Geographic is about global exploration. And so you want to show people exploring the globe. And yeah. so that's at the heart of it. <laughs> so with regard to, um, since you guys brought it up earlier, why 20th, 20th anniversary of The Amazing Race coming up, how has that show, how did you guys even envision that it was gonna run like for 20 years and still be so, so popular? You know, the thing is with Amazing Race, it was always one season at a time, one nerve wracking season at a time. Oh, we're going to get another season. Uh, we don't know. Okay, we get another one. Okay, uh, we got an Emmy. Oh, we got two Emmys. We got three Emmys. We got four Emmys. We got five Emmys. We ended up 15 Emmys, you know, including yeah. Emmys. But every year was like, are we going to make it to the next season? In the meantime, the show is hugely popular around the world, yeah. <laughs> particularly in Asia. It was huge. And, you know, uh, we never, Elise and I never run out of ideas. So all mm. these ideas you see, I mean, this is coming out of our brain trust at the yeah. office and with ourselves. And we never ran out of ideas. And I, I scout all these locations, go mm. to every every place. And it, it it gives you enormous energy, enormous creative energy once you start creating. Uh, and you have to understand the culture, you know, in order to mm -hmm. do, otherwise you scrape the service. So we try to go a little deeper than the service. So you guys can enjoy it too. So you say, well, this guy understands our culture. He understands mm -hmm. what's fun and what we like and what we don't like. So, you know, it's it's a it's a work of passion. You know, you have to live it 24 hours a day. And I've been living it for the last 20 years, thanks to Elise. 
Yeah, we've been out there a lot. But, um, you know, I think the thing that keeps it going is, um, number one, casting is so important to, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've had some little stunt casting here and there, but for the most part, (laughs) casting relatable people, somebody that you can watch and say, oh my gosh, that reminds me of my sister or my brother or my mom would, if I traveled with my mom or my cousin or my best friend or my boyfriend or, you know, girlfriend, this is, this is what I would go through that, you know, it started because I went back, the concept came from a backpacking trip I took with my college roommate, you know, (laughs) through Europe and just kind of the relationship we had trying to figure out who was going to decide what to do next. And that's where you get all that fun drama. But when you get immersed into a culture and you have to do the things that the locals and you have to, you don't have enough money or you don't speak the language. It's just a recipe for craziness, you know, and um, I just think casting is so important. We've got the, the world as our backdrop, you know, um, and I think the wonderful thing about the amazing race is that, you know, we have found that we are all the same around the world. You can find mm-hmm. wonderful people everywhere. We just want to bring people closer together and be respectful. If you just smile at somebody, they will smile back at you for the most part. You know, Except if you're in Russia, in Russia they don't smile. <laughs> they, they, think, they think you're crazy when you laugh and you smile say, hey how are you doing what? what's the matter with me moron? <laughs> you know uh, race to the center of the earth is is a fantastic show and I, I, I may have said it before it's the perfect family viewing it's wonderful mm. that you don't have to worry about what's being said or what's being known you can do something you can sit on your couch and see something you will never see in your life that's for mm. sure I can guarantee yeah. that <laughs> The wonderful thing is we also started with these fantastic cameras. We used um, state-of-the-art camera technology, Mm. super high resolution, beautiful cameras. And um, what were they? They were black. I actually have them written down here. If I could take a quick. We used the black magic. Okay. Ursa mini pro G2 cameras. Uh, They're ultra high resolution Mm. and a small enough package that the teams could kind of, yeah, it's a tiny camera. Yeah. But you know what? Friends, yeah. At the end of the day, it is the eye. At the end of the day, it's the eye behind the camera that makes yeah. it happen. Sometimes you get a shot with an iPhone that is priceless. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's no. the user. It really it's, is. Yeah. The talented team but behind you know, it's true. We, we, but it's not easy to keep this very sensitive equipment to slap it through, through snowstorms and over mountains, et cetera, et cetera, without breaking. That in itself is a feat, you know. Mm. <laughs> they brought them all oh, home. When, we, when I start talking about and start unraveling this, I'm getting a nervous breakdown. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's so good that people have been able to um, stream the, the series from wherever they are in the world. That's it. How do you think streaming platforms have changed the way reality shows are produced? I love it. <laughs> I think it's awesome. <laughs> I don't know if it changes the way reality shows. It, it may change a little bit the way shows are produced. We still, you know made our show, we make our shows the same. Um, you know, I do a lot of binge watching, so I like having them all oh, stacked up and then they kind of hmm. just run through them. There's something really fun about watching a show like that, but then you can all, I love that you can go back. It's always there. It's living on that platform. You know, years ago, you'd watch a show and maybe you could record it if you remembered. Yeah. But now if you've got you know, Disney plus, you can always go back, Net Geo. you can go back and watch it again. It'll run again. I just think there's so many more you know, opportunities to watch content over and over and see what you love. 
what I love is that uh, we're watching the we're watching the race to the center of the earth on the premiere, and I get the text on the famous iPhone from Vietnam and from other places all over Asia. Oh, we love this show. We're watching it right now. I mean, isn't that fantastic? You know, yeah. that stuff is out there for millions and millions of people to see. I mean, I think it's it's fantastic. Yeah, it's on a global scale. I mean, and we love Singapore. We love all our fans, our fans that watch yeah. The Amazing Race. We hope that they get hooked <laughs> on this show too because we just like, you know, producing shows for the people who want to watch our shows, you know, the ones mm -hmm. that love the global adventure. So mm -hmm. it's just, a, it's just really perfect for what we need right now. I think. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. And I definitely we have to, to we, need to bring, we need to bring people together. You know, we need to bring people <laughs> you together. Because if it's from four corners of the earth. Yeah. Everything. <laughs> yeah, this new generation, you know, all this fighting and all this nonsense in the middle East and all this mm -hmm. stuff. It's just guys stop it already. It's a complete unnecessary. When we travel around the world, I go to all these places. I mean, I've, been, I've done a show in the war zone in Iraq and in Afghanistan. But you know what? I get along with everybody. I can talk to everybody. As long as you respect the other person, there's no, there's nothing going on. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. We travel all over the globe freely. And then when I watch the news, it looks like the world is on fire. It's not on fire. I am living proof of it. <laughs> Your you know? show is living proof of it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 That's it in a nutshell. <laughs> just speaking about streaming platforms uh what are you guys currently watching or binging <laughs> oh my gosh we just watched wandavision <gasps> have you seen it it's yes. so yes. good it's so good awesome. um i you know the first episode i was just like i'm not sure what this is is this a show from the 60s or the 50s yeah and then so, you know i thought we were everybody was kind of just watching the first you know, first episode, and I didn't go to the second episode and said, we said, you got to keep watching it. Yeah. And so, um, we did. And it's good. Uh, it's good. that's what we're, we just finished watching. Super fun oh. show. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. That's why I have to keep telling my friends, but now they'll hear it from you, Bertram and Elise, <laughs> to keep yeah. watching. Listen, if you don't want to take <laughs> it from me, take it from these experts. <laughs> it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. Mm. First watch okay. Race to the Center of the Earth and then watch <laughs> WandaVision. <laughs> you heard her. Yes, very right. good. Um, I guess like in closing, I mean, you guys have are basically stalwarts uh, of this industry for so many, so many, so many years. How do you guys just like keep being so prolific? Like just keep on going? Like what keeps you guys like kind of hungry and energetic and, and creative? What else are you going to do? It's who we are. <laughs> At the yeah. core of who Bertram and I are, we um, love uh, travel. We love cultural, you know, visiting. We are just, you know, as people have said this before, citizens of the world. I get excited to meet new people. I get excited to go new places. I, I cannot wait to get on a plane and go to places I've never been to before. I just eat it up. And Bertram's the same way. And Bertram just loves, Bertram also speaks five languages. I don't, um, that's for his Dutch background, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, we're together for a reason. We met each other and something just clicked and we just have this passion to, um, you know, live every moment to its fullest capacity. We don't waste time. We're not sitting at home. You know, I mean, we are right now sitting at home, but we cannot no, we wait to sitting at home again. Right. Um, we are developing new shows and new concepts and we're super excited, you know, once we can get back out there again to create more exciting television for people. Yeah, I just I just got a new concept 
this morning, which I think is fantastic. I can tell you, but <laughs> it, is, it is, it is awesome. And I, I'm back. I'm on fire again. You know, I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll be another hit. Good. Can't wait to see it. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much. I know you guys are super busy. Thank you for taking some time out and talking you. about your show. I think it sounds, I mean, it sounds exciting. I saw the trailer. It looks amazing. So um, if anything, um, it's already sort of like in 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 Asia. So we're going to yeah, have to check that watch. out. Please watch. Yeah. You're going to look at seven jam-packed with adventure, craziness, and just beautiful, pristine locations. Hope you enjoy it, guys. Really. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so okay, much. Thank you so much. Good <laughs> to see you guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks, Thanks Elise. That was a really fun chat with with two of them obviously like you know being in tv production myself like it was cool to talk to like you know basically two veterans of like not just veterans but like they're basically probably the the top um adventure reality producers in the world so it was quite, yeah. it was quite fun <laughs> i'm pretty impressed with how far they've gone like with um doing this type of shows they're doing it for decades yeah. <laughs> i remember i was still a little girl and i watched the amazing race <laughs> oh my gosh okay yeah that would make sense yeah you were probably yeah. a kid like you were yeah. a kid like, i remember out. like yeah. there was this episode when they came to singapore and i think there was Kang. oh my gosh handed over handed the the that card like to give them the next clue yeah, yeah. Uh, that was like so long ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah and they're, they're still doing it wow that's cool all the way through still the are. pandemic yeah, they're just like I mean, they're just like prolific, you know. Like, and and they have done that show for almost twenty years, I think. Like the Amazing Race. So I think like creating this show, is just like easy for them because they know everyone. We were talking about like how, um, you know, they probably know how to get in and out of a country better than the FBI or CIA because they just have like all the fixers and and whatnot. So it was cool, yeah. very interesting. Yeah. It will be interesting to uh, see them like come up with uh, obstacles, um, like you know, adventures in the house since nobody, no, not many people can leave their house. <laughs> that's true. Maybe that's, a, that's like a, a new challenge, challenge for them. <laughs> a new challenge. Yeah, but I, I'm pretty sure uh, I'm done. I'm done with being stuck at home. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so get out. <laughs> let us out. Let us out. Yeah. Oh, well. well, that's all from us this week. Uh, thanks awesome. for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support Coconuts and our weird and wondrous stories, you can become a Cocoa Plus member at coconuts.co slash membership, make a patron payment at coconuts.co slash patron, or buy our fresh merch at the Coconut Shop at shop.coconuts.co. Subscribe to the podcast and leave reviews. Tell us how you feel and what you like and don't like. We're excited to hear from you. The Coconuts Podcast delivers impactful, weird, and wondrous reporting by our journalists on the ground in eight cities. Singapore, Bangkok, Hong Kong, Manila, Jakarta, Kuala Lumpur, Yangon, and Bali. Listen to headline news and insightful interviews on matters large and small, designed for people located in or curious about Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. The Coconuts Podcast is a Coconuts Media production. Our hosts are Nurul Azlia and Vim Shanmugam. Our executive producer is Byron Perry, our production manager is Clarissa Cortez 
And our editor is Rainer Lindman.